Hello and welcome to Nerd Girl Musings Podcast. My name is Jen and I'm so glad you're here. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me once again. Today, I'm going to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. I was initially going to just discuss Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which is my personal favorite. Uh, it's called Dream Warriors, if you didn't know. And I think, personal opinion, best one of the bunch. Now, there are other ones I like, and as I started getting ready, I realized that I can't just talk about one and leave all of the other ones out. Um, and so many years ago, I had bought the iTunes uh, box set or whatever of the Nightmare series, and it comes with a, a documentary, and it's called Never Sleep Again. And so I was just watching that, and they talk about in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, um, there's a band called Dokken, and they created a song called Dream Warrior for the movie, and it was the first music video to be included on a VHS. And, uh, you know, this was in the time of the early days of MTV. For those of you that are too young to know what MTV used to actually be, was the place to go for all of your your videos. But um, so they were playing the song. And, of course, now I can't get it out of my head. But and so that led me down a trail of, well, maybe I should mention this. And then that led into but then you can't talk about, you know, the third movie without discussing movie two. And and, you know, you have to talk about the original. So I guess we're going to talk about all of them today. Um, briefly, I'm not going to go in, you know, detail for each movie or or anything like that. Um, and so when I was um, looking up some some, uh, you know, unknown facts and things like that that I wanted to share. I was like, well, how many movies really are there? Because just like some of the other series that came out around the same time, they just seem to crank out one after another after another. And so you lose track after a certain amount of time. And when I was looking through my list, um, I happened to see that they made a, a reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010. Um, I had never actually seen it. I own it, apparently, because it was part of this box set, and I had never watched the movie. So I had the misfortune this weekend of watching that remake. And, yeah, they should have left it alone. It was it was bad. It was really bad. Um, and, you know, horror movies, to a certain extent, most people are forgiving of how bad some of these movies are just because, it, you know, we're used to how how it's been, you know, and nowadays most of them have a lot of CGI and so they're able to do more with with less. And and then if you go back and you watch some of these older horror movies and you had to see the the things that they had to do physically, the stunts that they had to do, and you could practically see them pulling a string over here or moving something or it was puppetry or or something. So there's I think there's a certain amount of leeway that horror fans give uh, movie producers and um, you know they they ha let them have a little bit of freedom there because it, it, you just can't make things real to life but um, they did not do well on that movie there were some there were some fun nods to the original I think but I will never watch that one again um, so anyway 
we'll we'll back up a little bit here and we'll go through a couple of them and my thoughts on on them and then I'll probably come back and do more specific uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. So the first one that came out, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, I really do like that one. I think it stands up on its own just fine. You knew they were setting it up for another one. Um, you know, this is where we were introduced to Freddy for the first time and what a unique monster he was. Um, and you kind of got the feeling that the adults or the parents, they knew something was going on. They didn't want to fess up, which is a common theme in a lot of these. Either the adults don't see, can't see, um, don't want to hear it, that kind of thing. And uh, so we've got Heather Langenkamp, who at the time was doing Just the Ten of Us, um, a good old show from my childhood. And that's where I knew her from. I, I don't remember much of the show, but, you know, Just the Ten of Us, Facts of Life, um, those were my go-to go-to shows. I loved those when I was growing up. So to watch someone that I had watched on TV regularly now being a part of, of a movie like this was pretty cool. Um, and we've got Johnny Depp, in his first role ever. Um, and he has the infamous scene of almost making it to the end. Um, and then he gets swallowed by his waterbed and then regurgitated, which was um, quite something. The fountain of blood that comes out of, of that was quite something. Um, and when you watch things like the documentaries or the behind the scenes and stuff, you, you hear all the stories that they shared about what all went wrong in filming that particular scene. And, um, you know, Heather Langenkamp, who is our Nancy, uh, she talks about how, you know, they had to do so much physical humor. So, or not humor, horror. There's a, there's a scene where um, Nancy is laying in bed and it's one of my favorite scenes from the movie. Uh, and you've got Freddie moving in the wall behind her. And he's kind of leaning out. And you can see him starting to come through the, the wall. And it's just this really interesting texture. And visually, I think it was shot really well. Um, and that was done with things like liquid latex. And, um, you know, latex barriers. And they use that for a lot of different gags in the in the movies uh, because it gave protection. It allowed for a little bit of cloudiness so you couldn't see what was happening clearly um, and allowed him to move and, and everything without showing up. Um, and I think that's another part of the original that made it so great. And that's what we look at movies like Jaws where you don't get to see the shark for most of it. You get the theme music. You get the your heart thumping because you know something's coming and it's going to happen and it, it doesn't or it's diverted or you just catch a wave. I think that's what Nightmare did well. They didn't overdo Freddy Krueger in the beginning. Um, and if you watch at it, watch it today with the movies of today and you look at, um, there's a scene where Freddy's coming down a, um, a dark, he's going after Tina for the first time and um, going down a dark alleyway and you can see it looks a little weird and then his arms start stretching way out. And um, and so there's some stuff that's hokey, uh, especially because you think of how it would look if they could do it today, which, you know, they, with the new reboot 
they did their own things and it was bad. So I think having some of those hokey bits gave it charm. It gave it something. And, you know, in the, in the end of the movie, I'll never forget that she's trying to talk to her dad and she's, you know, trying to get out of the house and she's, um, they've got that phone with the tongue that comes out of it. And it just, uh, it's a visual image that you just don't forget. Um, and you know, in the end her, she loses everybody, all of her classmates, her boyfriend, her mother. Uh, but then Freddie's gone because she turns her back on him, takes away the power that she had given him and it's over. And you know, it, the powers that be, once they saw what a great cash cow this was going to be, it wasn't going to be over. Um, and then they, they a few years later, came out with Nightmare on Elm Street 2. It was called Freddy's Revenge. Um, it's also been known as the gayest nightmare um, <laughs> because it was... Uh, I'm surprised it didn't sink the whole series. And I think had it not been for the success of number three, it, we would have never seen this series again. But um, the the guy that wrote it uh, intended for it to be this closeted male. He's a, um, a young male and he spends the whole movie screaming um, and everything was supposed to be subtext and it wasn't. Um, everything they did in the movie just made it gayer and gayer and um you know so when you look at it knowing how the writer wrote it and how the director interpreted it whether they they really knew or not you know it's hard to say um but it's a painful watch it just isn't isn't the best uh the best one I was never a big fan of Jesse and uh I can't remember her name Lisa maybe so then we come to Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And this one did something um, that is not uncommon uh, in horror movies. It, it brought us back some of our characters. Um, so in this case, it brought us Heather Langenkamp and the character of Nancy. And she plays a, um, she's a, a psychologist. She went to college. She's got her degree. She's um, studying uh, she's an intern in a mental facility where we meet Kristen. Or actually, I think she says it, Kirsten. And throughout the movie, Nancy's the only one that understands. Um, and she realizes what these kids are fighting. And there's, you know, they have a lot of these group uh, therapy sessions. And straight talk only in this room is their theme. And, um, and they don't believe that she understands until she says, you know, he's, he's burnt. He wears this sweater. He has claws on his hands. He, so they, they get that she, she has been through it. And they learn that they are the last of the Elm Street children. And Patricia Arquette was filming her first role. And you could tell even in that role, um, that she was going to be a good actress going forward. You could just see that she had a future ahead of her. Um, and I suspect that's why she never came back again, because this was a, you know, check, I got my start, now I'm off. They've, they've never really said why they didn't pull her specifically back. Um, because they fight Freddie, 
even though they're being um, locked into a padded room, they're being given drugs to force them to sleep, and everything's against them. But once they are sleeping, they they all have kind of a, a hidden power, a secret power. Um, and for folks that watched movies around this time, you'll notice that um, uh, one of the guys from uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which is also another favorite of mine um, for hokey humor, he was in Elvira as well. Um, so they were both filmed about, um, I think they were about a year or so apart or within a few months. Um, Ira is his name and he played Will. And uh, in the in real life, he's in a wheelchair. But in his dreams, he is a, a master. So he was big into Dungeons and Dragons. So he's he's a, a master and um, he's able to cast spells. And, you know, in the uh, in the extras, he talks about being the pre Harry Potter kind of thing. But um, he feels that his knowledge of Dungeons and Dragons is what got him the role. So there are some pretty, um, pretty wicked deaths in in this movie. In fact, uh, the biggest one that stands out, or probably the two, is Taryn. Uh, she is a former drug addict, and so her big thing is is in her dreams she's beautiful and bad, and so she's mohawk. She's got her switchblades, and um, in her death scene, she's fighting Freddy. And all of a sudden, his hands come up, and instead of the knives, he has all needles, hypodermic needles. And what he says to her is, want to get high? And then, you know, he injects her, and all her her track marks, the mouths, their mouths, and they're, like, you know, sucking. They're wanting wanting their drug. And so he overdoses her. Um and apparently a lot of fans throughout the years have told her that that scene alone helped them quit drugs, which is a pretty cool thing. Uh, but another, I think it's a funny part, is there's a character named Jennifer who says, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to be, you know, that's what I want to be is I want to be on TV. So every time she would stay up late watching TV, she would smoke and um she would take the cigarette and burn her arm to stay awake. And whenever they were saying, you know, you've got to get to bed. And she's like, oh, come on, man, I'm doing research. This is, you know, this is what I want to do. And she's watching TV one night and uh, it's a, a late night TV show. And the uh, he, the guest on there is Zsa Zsa Gabor. And uh, Freddie, Freddie ends up coming on screen and, and like the screen goes funny. So Jennifer goes over and bangs on the TV and all of a sudden these arms pop out and grab her. And then Freddie's head comes up out of the top of the TV. So hit the, um, the rabbit ears are stuck to his head, which is kind of funny. Um, and you know, the big line from this part of the movie is, uh, welcome to prime time, bitch. You know, that's like the thing. And so you always hear that quoted or you did back then. And um, pulls her head into the TV, killing her. So those were some pretty significant things. But anyway, due to their powers and, and what they're able to do in their dreams, they get to a point where they can defeat Freddy, um, where they find 
They find their strength and their power, and they can defeat Freddy. But Freddy takes Heather Langenkamp uh, character Nancy with him, and so she dies in this movie. And I don't remember what age I was when I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street. I know I was young, um, but I had actually written Heather Langenkamp a, a letter. It was quite a long letter, and um, I have no idea what I said. But she wrote back, and or her people did, I'm sure. And, you know, I got a signed photo and all this kind of stuff um, because I just loved the character of Nancy. And I actually really liked Kristen. So when Nightmare on Elm Street 5, or I'm sorry, 4, called The Dream Master, uh, comes out, I thought, oh, you know, excellent. We're going to see Kristen back again because she survived the movie. And uh, the three people that survived with her, all of them are killed within about... I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie maybe. And um, we're introduced to a new character. Uh, Patricia Arquette did not come back for this movie. And so they had somebody else and it was never the same chemistry. It, it um, I think her name was Tuesday, I think. And it just wasn't the same. It, you just, it just didn't work. And so now all of a sudden we had a completely new main character we had new people um, and I don't have a problem with that but it changed so much the chemistry kind of went different now I did like that we had um, Alice we were introduced to Alice and she was this horrifically shy didn't speak up she was um, you know you could physically watch her change through the movie, which was very interesting how they did that. And um, she had to learn. She had to grow throughout the movie as as Freddie comes to visit her and her friends. And so in in this one, um, she is the main the main character. she she learns the powers that Kristen had to pull people into her dreams. and it's like she absorbs the skills and the strengths of people around her as they die. Um, and she has a, a good group of friends with her and, and they, um, you know, they, they all end up dying and she has a, she has a boyfriend by the end, Danny. And, um, you know, you think, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be all right from here. And, you know, because it's nightmare on Elm street, it, it can't ever be that easy. So, uh, because, Alice and Dan did the thing that you're never supposed to do because if you watch Scream, you learn the rules of a horror movie and you can't ever have sex. That's the rule. So they broke the rule. So Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is the dream child. Shocker. So, um, you know, this is your penalty for that is now you're going to have this nightmare baby. And um, it, it's a little hokey in parts um alice who's played by lisa wilcox is just a strong um in this movie and she has to fight freddie a lot more we get more backstory on what happened to freddie's mother amanda and um, there's some interesting montages of how the baby when the baby sleeps is pulling alice into its dreams um, and that's kind of how we get 
uh, to that point of having the dream child and, um, you know, and, and so they're fighting for the soul of the unborn baby at this point. So, you know, again, kind of forgettable beyond that point. Um, and then they came out with another one. It was called uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, a.k.a. Six. So, you know, whenever they say it's the final nightmare, it never is. So this one, um, I'm trying to even remember Tom and Roseanne were in it. So that should tell you enough. Um, but it, again, not something very memorable. Uh, and once again, we have another one released a few years after that. Um, so Wes Craven's new nightmare came out in 1994 and this one was well done. I really liked this one because this one is, um, people playing their character as the actor playing the character. So we have Heather Langenkamp is back again and she's playing Heather Langenkamp and the, uh, so Wes Craven, who wrote Nightmare on Elm Street, um, he is also in the movie as an actor playing himself. But uh, so it's it's got some interesting twists to it in that way. Um, and there are times that Wes Craven says something that you have to think about. Well, now, is this real life Wes Craven or is this real life Wes Craven playing a character who just happens to be called Wes Craven, you know, so it, it's a little bit more of a mind jump. Um, but it's, it's really well done. I like the question of, you know, we've got Freddie out of makeup. So Heather and, um, Robert England chat and it, because they were co-stars. And so then the, the movie, is this really Robert England or is Freddie possessing him kind of thing? So it's a very interesting twist. And that should have been the absolute, absolute end. But um, whoever it was, uh, and I don't count Freddie versus Jason. I should throw that one in there. Technically, it is part of the series because it's Freddie, but because it's one of these crossovers between Freddie and Jason. I don't count it, to be honest, never seen it. I was not a big Jason uh, fan. That just wasn't my shtick. I really liked the Nightmare series instead. Um, but they brought back the Nightmare on Elm Street. They redid it in a terrible way with somebody else playing Freddie, and it just didn't, just didn't have the same vibe. Now, I can remember as a kid, uh, we would stay in a campground in the summer. We rented out our house in the summer to this uh, couple from Florida, and we would go live out at a campground in a, a town called Cedar Springs, Michigan. And every week, my mom and I had to go into Cedar Springs to do laundry at the laundromat. And, uh, you know, after sitting there for what felt like a day, it was probably a good few hours, though, we would walk around the town and this was one of these small towns. It had a main street. Um, 
It's one of those towns that I think you would think of in a movie where it's like small town USA. Everybody knows everybody. Small little mom and pop shops everywhere. Um, They had something called the uh, red flannel uh, days. And so if you weren't wearing red flannel, you got thrown into their little jail until you could make a donation to get out. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was a big community thing. You had uh, parades and all that kind of stuff. But they had a small little uh, video store and I would go in there and I would look at all the horror movies and read the backs of the VHS tapes. And surprisingly, my mom would let me get some. I remember, um, what was it now? It just escaped me. The like slumber party massacres and, you know, just some of these really bad, not appropriate movies that I was allowed to watch at that age. And um, so I don't know if it was at some point during that age that I saw some of these nightmare movies the first time. I definitely um, remember looking at at them as they would sit there because I remember the covers. I remember what those looked like. And um, I would read some of the books that went with the movies. And uh, so it was... You know, it was uh, something that I think you could do back then. I don't know that I would want kids reading some of the stuff nowadays, but definitely wasn't appropriate. So let's go back to Nightmare on Elm Street 3, because like I said, this one was my favorite one. Um, And I found some fun facts on the movie that I didn't know. So I thought that I would share some of these with you, because maybe you didn't know it either. Um... So there's a character called Kincaid. He's supposed to be the the tough guy. And when um, the actor that ends up playing him, Ken, when he went to go audition, I guess it was storming really bad and he had to take buses to get there. And so he was soaking wet when he got there. And then they were late. They took a long time. They kept him waiting. And so then when they finally brought him in to read for the role, he... Um, They said, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And apparently he was so angry, he cussed out the director, and that's what got him the role. So it fits who that character was. All of the budget for this movie went to the special effects because there were a lot of special effects in the movie. Um, You know, they had slow motion. They had, um, what is it, stop motion, I think it is. They had claymation. They had... Uh, all these different things because CGI was not something that was really available to them. It was out there, but it wasn't available to them. I think it was cost prohibitive at that point. Um, and so these things had to be physically created. These these gags in the movie had to be physically done. And so some of the stuff is uh, shooting it in reverse and playing it in reverse and, and things like that. So... Um, also the, the welcome to primetime bitch line that was not written in the script. That was all, uh, coming out of Robert England. That's just, you know, kind of came to him. Um, what other fun things could I share? The, there's a scene where Kristen is going into the Elm Street house and there's a pig on the dining room table (laughs) and, you know what's gonna ha- you know what's gonna happen. This pig's laying there. You know it's all of a sudden gonna go. You know something's gonna 
come forward, come out, you know, talk, do something, you know it. And uh, it still gets me every now and then, um, even though I'm prepared for it. But um, apparently that pig was real. They cooked it and then left it sit. And um, some of the puppeteers that worked underneath the table in that scene, the one guy, he said that to this day, he can still smell that pig. It was so bad. Um, you know, some of the, some of the scenes had, um, you know, like they didn't have AC and Heather Langenkamp has been quoted as saying it was actually a very difficult uh, film set because they were under so much pressure from the studios to get this right after the abysmal failure of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. So they, they were under a lot of pressure to, to do this, um, now, the interesting thing about just the series in general is it it was written by Wes Craven and it came from a true story. So uh, he said that when he was looking at the news one day um, in the 1980s, in the early 80s, there was an epidemic of people dying in their sleep during a nightmare. There were mostly immigrants from Cambodia and so the condition became known as Asian death syndrome. And apparently he read the story uh, about what happened and how, you know, they were perfectly fine one minute. They were sleeping and then had a nightmare. Um, I guess there's one story he tells in particular that this one young gentleman, his dad was a doctor and kept trying to get him to sleep and give him sleeping pills. And he um, he couldn't take it. He eventually I think he committed suicide actually. And afterwards they were looking in his room and they found all the sleeping pills under the bed. They found a coffee pot in the, um, in the closet with a cord running to another outlet. And so some of those details ended up in, in the movie, in the script. Um, Freddie's sweater is red and green striped. And the reason for that is that Wes Craven saw something on how the, the brain and the retina processes color. And apparently those two colors were offensive to the eyes. And so he's like, well, there we go. That is, uh, that is what we're going to have as Freddie's sweater, something that is difficult and, and hard for the brain and the eyes to focus on. Um, apparently some of the other features in the movie, like the character of Fred Krueger with, with the hat, that all goes back to something that scared Wes Craven as a child. Um, even some of the, um, like there was a bully in his life, I guess that was called Fred Krueger. And so that's why he gave him a name as kind of a way to um, get past that, that he had as a kid. Uh, what other things could I tell you? Oh, that, so in the original, that blood fountain that came out of Johnny Depp's character um, when he was killed, it was in one of these rooms that flip upside down. And so when it was, um, when they when they shot all that water and carol syrup and everything out of there, the room got off balance and it shot everywhere and it shorted out lights. Apparently one of the guys that was standing on the stage who was standing in water, who had wires running by him 
you know, got shocked a little bit when that all happened. And they said that it was just quite a mess. Um, and it damaged a lot of, a lot of stuff back then. Uh, and also this, uh, soundstage that they used to film the original was the same one used for I Love Lucy. So that's really all that we're going to, all that we're going to talk about for, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street today. That's, that's been more than enough. Um, I sat and laid out kind of my plan, how I want, how I want these to go. And, uh, talking about movies, man, we can go on forever, uh, which is good. It gives me a lot of good stuff to, to talk about. And I think what I might do going forward is we've got holidays right around the corner and then we start back up in January again. So I think for the next few months, you're going to see a lot of, or hear a lot of more of the themed type of uh, podcast. So, you know, obviously Halloween. Um, next week, we'll probably chat about Hocus Pocus, I think, because that'll be the week of Hall- Halloween itself. And um, it, it, that's my favorite one. So it's not scary. It's, you know, not a horror, but it's my favorite Halloween movie. And I do have a long list of favorite holiday wo- Halloween movies. So probably next year we'll talk about some more of the Halloween ones I like. Um, I don't really have any good ones for Thanksgiving specifically. So if you have one that's Thanksgiving themed that you really like, let me know. Um, But then I do have a few for Christmas. Uh, We've got franchises, books that were made into movies, um, 80s, 90s, Julia Roberts, chick flicks that don't suck. (laughs) That one is not a super long uh, category for me. Um, and then, you know, I've got a gay series. I've got some other, some other ones that we can throw together as well. So I think we're going to have plenty to talk about in between just general musings every now and then. So, um, certainly if you have something that you really like and maybe it's something you don't think uh, anybody else is talking about, let me know, drop me a line. Um, but I think that's going to wrap it up for today. I think I've, I've carried on long enough about this. Um, you know, it's a great time of year. I love the apple cider, crunchy uh, leaves on the ground. I'm not a fan of the snow that's coming, um, and it's been hitting here where I live, so uh, that can go away anytime. But, and that's all that we have for our episode today. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you never miss out, and head on over to Instagram and say hello, and make sure to give us a like. Have a good day and be well.